verse 1 said, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rised up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, You're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and taken his garment, and was set down again, he saith unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus and ask you, God, to help us to labor in this scripture that is before us. Lord, I pray you'll work in hearts. Lord, this is the first service for some that they've been able to come, but Lord, I ask you to minister to them. Lord, I pray for those that are on the outside looking in, wondering. I pray this would be the glad day that you'd draw them into the kingdom of God and may they pass from death unto life, come in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I ask you, Lord, for your quickening and divine mercy of grace upon souls today. Lord, I pray you'd revive your people and Lord, renew our heart. Lord, I want to thank you for Brother Shane. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you, dear God, for the invitation and the open door that you've given unto us to preach. Uh, now, this will be nine messages, God, in these fi five days. And I pray, God, that you'd give us grace to proclaim your word this before us again. Lord, we'll honor you for what you do. By your grace, we will. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I want to look this morning at the subject of Jesus mastering our defilement. Jesus mastering our defilements. Now, as we look in chapter number 13 through chapter number 17, 
These take place in the last night that the Lord Jesus had with his disciples. There's a lot of text and a lot of scripture that is given in regard to that. There are many times a year will pass with just one verse. But the Lord elaborates on this last fellowship that he has with his people. And we find that it is the day before the feast of the Passover and they're preparing for this. And Jesus knew that the shadow of the cross was upon him. He knew that he was the fulfillment of the Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, it says, Even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And as the Lamb was slain, that they might be redeemed. And when the Lord said, I see the blood... I will pass over you. We know that it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that God will pass over our sin because judgment has fallen on him and taken our place. Well, all this shatters upon him, but the Bible says in verse number one that he knew that his hour was come. Now you'll see that phrase, mine hour, mine hour, mine hour, throughout the Gospel of John. It starts there in chapter number two when Mary uh, says they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour's not yet come. She wanted him to reveal himself to who, to the people and show who he was. But he said, it's not time to do that. Mine hour's not yet come. Again, he said, it's not the hour for the power of darkness yet. And he kept talking about his hour, his hour. But now he realizes his hour has come. His hour to die on the cross. His hour to fulfill the purpose and the plan for which the Father had called him. And that was to bleed and die as a sacrifice for our sins and then rise from the dead on the third day. The time is drawing near. The sand's pouring through the hourglass. But instead of being fidgety, instead of growing uh, ill, instead of uh, being sulking or disappointed or whatever, uh, he begins to minister to his disciples and he tries to be a blessing to somebody else. And maybe you're in a situation of a dilemma and a hard place coming up. The worst thing you can do is pull the curtains in and feel sorry for yourself. Best thing you can do is get out and try to be a blessing and a help to somebody else. Now in verse number one in the latter part, it says that he came from the Father and he was going back to the Father uh, but in verse number one, it says he loved them, that is his people, unto the end. Boy, there is an expression of the Lord's love to them in chapter number 13. And you know love is not necessarily manifest or expressed in big things. Husbands and wives have problems and he thinks if I buy her a car, it'll all be all right. Or if we take a trip uh, somewhere to Hawaii or something, it'll all fix up. No. Uh, love's expressed in little things, daily things, things that come and flow naturally out of the heart. And that's where real love is made manifest. And the Bible says that they had the supper in verse number two. And uh, there, when it had ended, the devil was now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas is getting ready to betray the Lord, and the Lord knows all about it. Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and he went to God. Now what does he do? He ariseth from supper and he laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. 
Here he is, the chiefest among them. This is his last hours that he'll spend with the disciples in private. But they haven't been interested in honoring him. The Bible tells us over in the Gospel of Luke that they were sitting around and arguing with each other. They were saying, who is the greatest? These boys had a private conversation right after partaking of the Last Supper. They started this argument. Now, who's the greatest among us? Old Simon Peter said, well, I'm the greatest. Man, the day I went to follow God, I had a whole fleet of boats. We had them loaded down. My pockets is full of money. You boys, you didn't leave nothing to follow the Lord. I guess I'm the greatest. Another said, yeah, but Peter, compared to me, you're lazy as you can be. They don't call me Simon Zelotes for nothing. I'm a man of zeal. I run circles around you. James looks at him and says, ha, you boys think you're something. I want you to see this. And he pulls up his, his breeches leg and he's got calluses on his knees. They don't call me old camel knees for nothing. You sorry rogues hardly ever pray. I pray every day till I got calluses on my knees. Oh, John the Beloved, he's in this too. Well, I'll tell you, old men, you can argue all you want, but I'm the youngest among you. And I'll have, when I'm 35 years old, I'll have more time serving God under my belt than you will if you serve him to your 75 years old because you got started so late. I got started early. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Everybody trying to climb the rung of the ladder and get on the top and be Shoney's big boy. I mean, they're trying to come to the top where they're the daddy rabbit, the boss hog. Uh, They're the one looked up to and esteemed among all the other disciples. And while they're over here chattering and yapping, you know what Jesus does? He takes his own robe off and he lays it aside and he picks up a towel and a basin of water. And he tells the men, sit down here. And they all sit down in a row. And he gets on his knees and he starts washing feet. Boy, I'll tell you what, this is one picture of the gospel. How the Lord laid aside the robe of his deity and his glory. When you saw him in the natural state, he didn't have a halo around his head. There wasn't a roar about him or a glow about him. He was so much like the disciples that when they got ready to take him in the garden that dark night, Judas Iscariot kissed him on the cheek to identify that it was Jesus because he looked so much like all the other disciples in his natural state. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he let what was on the inside come to the outside. And it was like the top of the mountain just lit up by his deity and his glory. But he laid all that aside with the angels crying day and night, holy, holy, holy. With all heaven adoring and worshiping him, all things obeying and at his feet, he laid all that aside and humbled himself. And he came to the womb of a virgin and took on the body of a man and was born in a barn. And he lived the humble life of our lowly Lord and Savior throughout his life. And then he laid aside all of his robes of glory and they stripped him of everything he had died upon the cross and washed us from our sins through and by his own precious blood. Boy, what a picture of the gospel this is. But this story goes on. It tells us how that the Lord began to wash feet. And uh, 
When he began to wash feet, he ran into a problem with Simon Peter. And Peter said, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus said, now what I'm doing, Peter, you don't know. Now I know exactly what you're doing. You're washing feet. And you're not going to wash my feet. No, Peter, you have no idea what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you an example. I'm giving you an illustration, son. Just sit down there and let me wash your feet. And he jumps up and says, thou shalt never wash my feet. Now, I see the nature of this man. He was a corrupt disciple like all the other disciples. They needed their feet washed. Uh, this man was a privileged man, but yet he needed his feet washed. This man was a prominent man. They, uh, had te- uh, they realized he was a leader and a guide among them. But the Lord said, I've got to wash your feet. He was a saved man. He was a man that had served the Lord. He's a man that vowed, though everybody else deny you, I'll not deny you, I'll stand with you. He's a schoolman. He's been with the Lord three and a half years. But the Lord said, Peter, I've got to wash your feet. Lord, thou shalt never. Now, I was in India preaching, and during the day I taught in a Bible college, and there was like 70 or 80 Indian guys, and they're in this room, and I'm teaching uh, in the morning. Uh, all morning long to lunchtime, then after lunch all the way till about 5 o'clock, and then we had a service at night. You're talking about busy preaching. You're busy preaching over there. Uh, but I was preaching about this illustration of foot washing, and uh, these guys were sitting on the front row, and all of them are barefooted. When they come into church, they take their shoes off because they say the Hindus take their shoes off to go to their temple, and we can't do any less honoring our God, when you go up, to the, there'll be just a pile of flip-flops there. I told him, I said, man, put your shoes back on. Moses is told to take his shoes off because the ground was holy. But when they got washed in the blood, the Lord said, put your shoes on and eat the Passover yeah. because I've pro- I give you the preparation of the gospel of peace right. and I've shod you with mercy. Hallelujah. And I said, it's all right to have your shoes on. You need to tell them the reason you got your shoes on. You've been washed in the blood. But anyhow, they all had their shoes off and they were sitting there. And so I started illustrating washing feet. And I, I got up out of my seat and I walked over there and this old boy sitting there. And I just reached down like this to get his foot to start to wash it. Boy, he jerked his foot back up like that and pulled away from me. And I looked at him and I said, Peter, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. And I got his foot and I pulled it up there and I began to rub it. He's so respectful. They look at you as a teacher. They call you a guru. That means a respected teacher there. Boy, he didn't want me touching his nasty feet. No, sir, boy. He, he, he could not imagine in his mind that this American preacher that came over there to teach and esteemed so highly would even touch his feet. And it was really an act of humiliation. And that may be what happened to Peter. Peter said, oh, no, you come after me when I was on my boat, when I was cussing and raving and roaring against you. And, Lord, you say, man, I've been right there and watched you raise the dead. I, I've carried the bread that you divided out of five loaves and two fishes. I carried baskets full of it. Lord, I've been in the middle of the sea about to drown, seen you come walking on the water and said, come to me and let me walk on the water. And you picked me up and carried me back to the boat. Lord, uh-uh, you're not washing my feet. It could have been humility. It could have been pride. He may have known that his feet were so dirty 
when the Lord began to wash him, that water would have turned black dirty. And he would have nasted that towel up. And I want to ask you this. If I had you line up on these pews and we started washing feet today, any of you got toe jam? Or your toenails are not trimmed? Or maybe you think, oh man, I put them old socks on, got holes in them, I got them hid right now, but I, I, don't, I don't want that to be seen. It could be pride. And you know, there's a lot of folk because of pride won't get in an altar and ask the Lord to wash them and clean them up. Well, if I come down there and I start praying, they'll think something's wrong with me. No, they'll think you want to get right with God or you want to get closer to the Lord or you got a burden to be poured out. Anybody going to run their, look down their nose at you and run their glasses out on the stem of their nose and say, who are they? What are they doing? Boy, that's a sorry. Nobody in this, nobody in this that I know of in this crowd's got that attitude. Praise God, get to the fountain where you can be washed and where you can be cleansed and where you can be purified. And old Peter, he said, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And I'm going to tell you something, friend, as a sinner, if Jesus does not wash you in his blood, then you have no part with God. You will not be saved. You will not enter into his kingdom. You will not go to heaven. You'll split hell wide open and you'll groan under the judgment and the chastening hand of Almighty God forever and forever if you don't get washed in the blood because God is a holy God, a righteous God. He cannot, he will not, he shall not tolerate one sin. And if you got one sin, one sin, to your charge, you'll spend eternity in hell for it because God is so holy. But Jesus tells us we must be washed. And the Bible tells us all manner of sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Hallelujah. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that can wash away your sins. And Revelation 1, 5 and 6 says unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And when you bow down and you call upon the name of the Lord, there is a divine transaction that takes place. There is a washing and a cleansing. Every wicked deed you've done, every word you've said, every wicked thought you've had, everything your hands have touched, your eyes have looked upon, your lips have spoken, every transgression, sins of omission, things that you have left out and not done, things that you have done, they're all recorded in the book of life in heaven. I like what Brother Doug did to me yesterday evening. He yeah. said, you want to see my record? I said, yeah. And he opened up two pages on his Bible that was white as snow. Yeah. Boy, I had a wicked record in heaven. All of it recorded. But thank God, when I got saved and called on him, yeah. it was washed away by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only in heaven, the Bible says that our consciences are purified by the blood of Christ. 
Preacher, I just feel uncomfortable around here this morning. Well, I just, I just don't feel comfortable. I just can't, I just can't really relax. I, uh, and the reason you do is because your conscience is defiled. Because your heart's defiled. Your sins are against you. You know that. You know you're not right with God. And this is God's house and a holy God's moving. And people are smiling and blessed. And you're not smiling because you're not blessed. Matter of fact, you got a frown on your face. And uh, you you got a conviction on your soul because God is so holy. I remember that night I came and called on the Lord and got saved by the grace of God. When I showed up to church on that next Sunday morning, there wasn't any condemnation there. Hallelujah. I was able to say amen. I was able to say thank you, Lord. I felt comfortable because I was in my Father's house. And when God moved through there, no longer did I want to crawl under a pew and hang my head down low or pick a songbook up and start thumbing through it. Thank God I wanted to catch the waves, wanted to run my sail up and catch the wind as God's wind is blowing, and I wanted to get in on what God was doing. Hallelujah. I wanted to run from it at one time, and now I want to run to it, and I want to look to him as the author and finisher of my faith, and I want to come to him because of the washing. Peter, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Then I want to say to the child of God, you buck up on God. You backslide on the Lord. You refuse to let God deal with your trash and your garbage. Then your prayers are hindered. Because the Bible says if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. And I'm going to tell you in these dark days, little Junior and little Sally can get deathly sick in a hurry. And are you able to pray for them? You come around the curve and uh, that loved one has been coming up the road and there they are laying on the side of the road being hit head on, fixing to die. Can you hit your knees and pray for them? And that phone ring, that emergency situation, can you call on the Lord? I know a man whose daddy was a dying and he went to see him and he, his daddy asked, he said, son, pray for me, pray for me. And his son started crying and weeping and he said, I can't pray for you because I ain't right with God myself. And boy, that just wrung his heart out. Now you can pretend to, you can act like you do, but if you're not right with God, you're not going to get your prayers through. Amen. And you're not in fellowship with God. When you're not in fellowship with God, you don't enjoy the things of God. You know who the most miserable person in this building is today? It's that fence straddler. They got one foot in the world and one foot in church. They can't enjoy the world because God's already saved them and marked them. And they can't enjoy being in the house of God because they got their foot in the world. And you're a man without a country. You're a girl, a boy, a girl. You're a woman without a country. And you're absolutely miserable today. Jesus said, if you do these things, happy are ye. Happy am I. Praise God, there's joy in the Lord. There's joy for those that'll sell out. But the secret to Christianity is selling out lock, stock, and barrel. You can't play half-hearted. You can't play wishy-washy. You can't play on and off. You can't play going with God and then running from God. You can't go out in the world and drink a cup of devils and then come in here and enjoy drinking a cup of God. It just don't work like that. Peter, give me your feet. I got to wash you. Boy, here's the mercy of it all. The Lord is willing to wash you. Yeah. 
The Lord is willing to cleanse him. The Lord is willing to purify him. Oh, my goodness. Why he would even want to touch our dirty feet? Why he would want to cleanse our dirty heart? It's beyond me. But hallelujah to his name. He's on his knees, his robes laid aside, and the humbleness of our Lord and Savior, he reaches and pulls those feet out, and he's ready to wash and cleanse and purify. And he stands ready to save you this morning. He stands ready as a child of God to purify you and get you over that backslid hump that you're in and get those iniquities out of your life. Boy, isn't it an awful feeling that when you got the filth of this old world on you as a child of God, don't you just feel condemned and corrupt and impure and unholy and dissatisfied in your heart? Nobody, nobody can satisfy you. Nothing can satisfy you. But boy, when you just get open and honest and you pull your socks off and you say, here they are, Lord, wash away. And he begins to wash and cleanse and purify. Hallelujah. And all that old filth and junk's rolled off of you. And you feel that squeaky clean purification in your soul. And you get thoroughly right with God, suddenly that frown turns to a smile. Suddenly that downheartedness turns to a leaping joy in your soul because you're happy. And that's just the way it is. Amen. I worry about folk that don't have any joy in the Lord. A corrupt disciple, a conflict discovered. But then I want you to look at a cleansing desire. Old Simon Peter says, well, wait a minute. If you have no part with me, then Lord, Lord, just give me a whole bath. Wash my head, my hands, everything. I, I can, you know why he did that? He did that because he could not tolerate a lifestyle without communion with Jesus. I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Boy, it hit Peter, no part with me. I can't walk with you. I can't fellowship with you. I can't be used by you. Lord, just wash my head. My hand can give me a whole bath in. It's intolerable for me to think about that. I couldn't live that lifestyle. I want to ask you something. Are you tolerating a lifestyle where you're defiled and not in communion and not right with God? Hey, come here a minute. Are you really happy with that? If you are, then I'd say that you're probably lost. Because anybody that's saved by the grace of God has the Lord resident in their heart. And I don't care how backslid you get, buddy, if God gets to move in, that God that's in you is going to fellowship with the God that's manifest, and there's going to be a communion, and there's going to be a relationship there. And if you can be happy and satisfied, sucked up in this world, playing the hypocrite, sitting on the church pew, then you're probably just lost. Because if you've ever known him, if you've ever tasted him, if you've ever partaken of the Lord, if you've ever experienced his sweet communion, then to be absent of that is the darkest, most miserable day in your life. Then it led to an invitation. Well, Lord, just give me a whole bath. And the Lord says this, now, Peter, you're a saved man. I don't need to wash you all over. I just want to wash your feet. You've already had a bath. Now, I just need to take care of the dirt that you picked up along the way. And, you know, if you're really saved by the grace of God, really saved, but you're out of the will of God, you don't have to get saved all over again, but you do 
have to be purified. And I don't care how careful you are. You walk through this world, you're going to pick up some road dirt and some road film and filth. That's the best you can do. Wash and wax your car. Drive it about 50 miles. Stop and put some fuel in it. Run your hand down the side of your car to feel, boy, feel that wax. You know, just that smooth. A fly would break his neck if he landed on there. But then just run your hand down the side of that car and then pick your hand and look at it. And you're going to have black. You're going to have filth on it. You didn't run through any mud holes. You didn't run through a rainstorm. You just went down the road and you picked up that old road film and that dirt on it. And because we're in the world, though we're not of the world, we rub shoulders and you hear all the blasphemy. You hear the cussing. You about got to have a pair of mule blinders to go to Walmart anymore. So many strumpets are down there. Amen. And uh, revealing themselves. And you run into all the temptations and the stuff and all that and you shake your head and you go on, but at your best, you're going to pick up some defilement. You say, I'm worried about them people coming to the altar all the time. Me, I think I got clean feet. Them that don't keep coming to the Lord, you probably got stinking feet. I want to ask you, does your feet stink this morning? And the reason they stink is because you don't deal with it and it sours and it can be smelled a long way. You probably got used to the smell, but everybody else can smell it. Amen. Everybody else can tell it. You may think, well, I got it all cut. It's like somebody that smokes. It amazes me, you know. Well, they'll, and then they'll throw it out the window, and then they'll grab some chewing gum. And then they'll hug you next and say, hey, brother. And you can tell they've been smoking. I mean, they can't cover it up. People get out here and sin, they smoke and suck in the world's yeah. fragrances and things like that, and then they come in, oh, hey, brother, how you doing now? You get that smell. You can't cover it up with that perfume of hypocrisy. You can't cover it up with that uh, perfume of acting and all those things. You, it's just there. But thank God I know a place where you can get it washed and cleansed. We walk in the light as he's in the light. We have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. God said, cleanseth us from all sin. Hallelujah. Well, after he gets through washing all their feet, he says this in verse 13, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so am I. And if I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And when it comes to this area of defilement, guess what? Nobody's calling him master. He calls himself master. And that might tell us it's because we're so hesitant to let him master our defilement. Why is it we want to hang on to these old habits, attitudes, spirits, controversies, these things that destroy families, marriages, relationships, Tear people apart, ruin kids' honor for the things of God. Why do we want to hold on to that? I'll tell you why. Because just like when you wave a magnet over gravel, you have an old nail that will just jump on it. And that steel is attracted to a magnet. And there's a depraved nature in every one of us that will be there till the day you die and God separates all that from you. 
and it's attracted to that. But I know a power that's greater than the magnet of the flesh. It's the power of the master. And to let him take his hands and wash you clean and purify you clean. He can break those chains and shackles and habits and there can be a turnaround. Thank God there's more repentance poured out here in the gospel of John as well. Amen. But then the Lord makes an application. He said, as I've done to you, I'll give you an example now. Uh, we don't believe in the ordinance of foot washing as maybe the free will Baptists do. Wouldn't hurt us to wash one another's feet. Probably humble us real good. But he said, it's what it is, it's an example. That as I've done this to you, you do this to one another. And throughout the Bible, he makes it plain that there's plenty of one another's. He's saying, I have done something to help you. I, I have been trying to be a blessing to you. I, I have ministered unto you. Now, instead of you boys sitting around trying to figure out who's the greatest, who's the big shot, who's going to be the ramrod, he said, get into this one another ministry for each other. And I just went through this morning and wrote down some one another scriptures. Man, there's a pile of them. Galatians 6.2, he said, Bear ye one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5.4, Edify one another. Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectionate one to another. 1 Corinthians 12.25, Care one for another. James 5.16, Confess ye false one to another. Hebrews 10.24, Consider one another. Galatians 5.15, Do not devour one another. Galatians 5, 26, do not provoke, do not desire vain glory or envy one another. Philippians 2, 3, esteem one another. Amen. Hebrews 3, 13, exhort one another. Amen. 1 John 1, 7, fellowship one with another. Ephesians 4, 2, forbear one another. Galatians 3, 13, forgive one another. 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another. James 5, 9, grudge not one against another. 1 Peter 3, 8, be of one mind, have compassion one of another. 1 Peter 4, 9, hospitality one to another. Romans 14, 13, do not judge one another. Ephesians 4, 32, be ye kind one to another. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie one to another. John 15, 12, love one another. 1 Peter 4 and 10, minister one to another. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, do not be puffed up one to another. Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectionate one to another. Romans 5, 15, 7 says that we're to be receiving one another. Galatians 5, 13, by love serve one another. Ephesians 5, 21, submit yourselves one to another. Galatians 4, 11, speak not evil one of another. Colossians 3, 16, admonish one another. Ephesians 4, 32, be tenderhearted toward one another. Ephesians 4, 32, forgiving one another. And James 5, 16, we are to pray one for another. Lord said, you want to know what this example is? He says, if I've done this unto you, you ought to wash one another's feet. He said, there is a whole fountain of cleansing water. Just get you a bucket full of it. Just start on any of these one another's. Caring about 
one another. Loving each other. God said in the last days, one of the prevalent sins is men would be lovers of their own selves. They would love pleasure more than they love God. And as a result, they love themselves more than they love anybody else. And so it's not a one another ministry. And the Lord said, if you'll learn to serve one another and love each other, minister to one another, happy are ye if you do these things. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. One reason being is you've got something to give. The receiver may not have anything to receive, but you've got something out of your abundance you can give. But that's not this monetarily. That has to do with a whole lot of other things. You remember when the woman wanted to honor Jesus and she slipped up behind him and he felt hot tears dripping down the back of his neck and oil poured out on his head. Boy, in a minute she got down on her knees and she took that ointment and she rubbed it on the feet of the Lord and washed his feet with the tears of her eyes and the hairs of her head. Then she left. And you know what happened to that woman? Without meaning to. She got more tangled up in her hair than she got on the feet of Jesus. And you'll never, ever serve somebody else, be a blessing to somebody else, help somebody else, pour your life out to be a blessing to somebody else without getting more back on you than you ever get on them. I don't know how many times I've been to the hospital to try to be a blessing and I wound up getting a blessing. Been to a rest home, tried to minister to be a blessing and wound up getting the blessing. Go over to help somebody and leave there with a bigger blessing than they got. Hallelujah. And if you have this attitude, if you have it in your marriage, instead of trying to make each other do for you, see who can do the most for each other. Oh, it melts a lot of controversy. If you're going to be in a contest, see who can be the best to the other. Oh, my, you talk about producing something. I'll tell you what it'll produce. It's like grabbing a big old Jersey cow and starting It's going to produce happiness and joy. It'll give you something that'll churn butter down there at the house. It'll give you something that'll churn butter over here at the house of God. I've been to places. I've been to churches. Where you, when they had a, a church business meeting, huh, you wanted to hightail it out of there because you know the fur was going to fly when everything hit the fan. Everybody laid up for the whole month about what they wanted to argue over on the business meeting. That ruined many a churches. Many a churches. I want to ask you this Is Jesus mastering your defilement? Then are we looking at what he does in mercy toward us. And he said, because Christ has forgiven you, you forgive somebody else. Grudge not one to another. I never will forgive him. I never will forgive her. You just don't know what they've done. No, but I know what I did to Jesus. And if there's anybody ought to hold a grudge, and if there's anybody ought to be unforgiving, It ought to be him. He's got the right to. But instead, you know what he does? 
He lays aside his garment, gets on his knees, pulls out the pan and says, I'm going to wash. I'm going to cleanse. Though I'm the cheapest of all, I've come to serve you. And I want to minister to you. And I want to help you get rid of that defilement. Let's bow our heads and hearts this morning.